Well, amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here tonight. You have your Bibles. The book of Acts, chapter number 26. We've almost made it through the book of Acts. We've got three more chapters left. It'll take about three years or so, I guess. No, just kidding. Y'all know how long it takes. But Acts chapter 26, verse number 1. Now, before we begin reading, let me just sort of sort of come to speed with this a little bit. It's important to see the, the background of where we're at and, and see a few things that's happening here. The Apostle Paul had been on his, what we call the third missionary journey, and uh, he had determined to go back to Jerusalem. And we'll look at a couple of things about that. We'll go back a little bit tonight in a couple of verses. And, and you remember as he determined to go back, that the Holy Ghost began to witness in every city and every place they came, that when he got to Jerusalem, that there would be bonds and afflictions waiting for him. But he went anyhow. It's the will of God he went. I contend that, that it was God's will. And he's been arrested now. Now, he's been arrested for two years. He's been held in prison at Caesarea. He was arrested in Jerusalem and moved quickly to Caesarea. And he's been in Caesarea for two years. And as he's been in Caesarea for two years, he's been able to, uh, to uh, have his uh, friends and acquaintances come to him. He's written some epistles, uh, some of the last Pauline epistles. He has uh, been able to witness to multiple folks. Now he's still in the prison there in Caesarea in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 1. And King Agrippa and his wife Bernice have come to see Festus who is over everything there at Caesarea. And we've seen all that last week. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 26. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. And so now King Agrippa and Festus and along with Bernice have, and, and, the, and the rulers have brought Paul out so that they could question him, so that Agrippa could question him, so Festus would have something to send to Augustus Caesar, uh, of, of who Paul had appealed to. So he brings him out and he now is ready he allows him to speak freely. Now here's a, a great truth. He's before him. This is really a life or death thing. It has been ever since they arrested him. And now he's about to speak. Now verse number 2. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time at the very first of verse number 2. And I want you to notice what it says. We'll read the whole verse. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Now, I want you to concentrate just a little bit on that first phrase. Now, I used it uh, Sunday, uh, at the end of the message Sunday night. But, but I want you to, to, to notice here that, that, that he says, I think myself happy. Now, I recognize in the context of this that he is he's happy that he's able to answer freely for himself. And he's able to do that. But there's an attitude here that is an attitude of he's not discouraged, he's not despondent, he's not downcast. By the way, he's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not bitter and angry at the people that have uh, had him falsely put in prison. Uh, he's not angry at any of that. He's not bitter and, and he stands before King Agrippa and, and, and he says, I think myself happy. 
Now, I, I want to look at a couple of reasons as to why I think that is true. So put something here and go back to chapter 20. And uh, go, go back to chapter 20, if you will, with us just a moment. Now, in chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul is in the end of that third missionary journey. He has determined to go to Jerusalem. And, and, and I want to read something in, in verse number 13. Now, uh, there's been several weeks since we were there, so I'm going to remind you of something. It's something I think is important for us to grasp. And so here we are in verse number 13 of Acts chapter 20. And I want you to what it says. And we went before to ship and sailed unto Azos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. Now, the, the Apostle Paul is on his third journey. In the fourth part of this, of this chapter, he has preached at Troas. By the way, Troas is a very memorable thing on this journey because he preached all night long, and at midnight, a guy fell out, Eutychus fell out of the third story and was dead, and Paul raised him to life and then preached on to the break of day. And, and, and so he's been at Troas. And, and they go down to, it's, it's, it's a port city, they go down to, to, the, to the port, and instead of getting on the ship with everyone else, and, and going on to Azos, the Apostle Paul says, I want all of you all to go, and I want you to wait on me there. And we know that Luke the physician, because he's the one that God used to write the book of Acts, he was there in that company. There was some other folks with him, a, a pretty good company. And he says, I am, he was minded to go afoot. In other words, he's going to walk from Troas to Azos. Now, to understand that, is 31 miles, there was a Roman road that went 31 miles from Troas to Azos. So he's walking 31 miles. Now, I don't know that he's actually able to do that in a day. He may have been, may not have been. But he goes by himself. Now, I know I've brought this up a couple of times, but there's a reason for that. You see, everywhere Paul has come to this point of going toward Jerusalem, he has heard, when I get there, when you get there, you're going to be arrested, and there's imprisonment, and no telling what else is going to happen to you. And so he goes by himself. Now it's my contention that the reason he went by himself was to get his heart settled. You see, every once in a while, you and I know that we're facing something that we don't like to face. Uh, sometimes you get some bad news physically, and they say you got cancer. You don't want to face that, but you're going to have to. You have to come to grips with it. Uh, sometimes there's some things happens to you otherwise, uh, uh, financially, and things happen to your family you don't like, and things happen in all kinds of places and things that we do not like, but we have to come to grips with it. That God loves us, that God is in control, and, and that it's okay, and whatever happens, I'm okay with it. And the only way to do that, by the way, is do it by yourself. Uh, other people can pray with you and pray for you, but ultimately it's, it's, it's a point of, of surrender to your will, to the will of God, no matter what that is. And, and, and so that's what that 31 miles did. Now I can prove that with this chapter. So they, they picked him up there uh, in the next uh, few verses. 
And, and so now I want you to, we're going to skip all the way down uh, to verse 22. He has called the people of Ephesus to come and he's preached them because he didn't want to waste any time. He wants to go to Jerusalem. But I want you to notice what he says to him in verse number 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now I want you to notice. He's seeing them for the last time, and he says, now listen, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I do know this. That the Holy Ghost has been witnessing everywhere I go that when I get there, there's bonds and afflictions. But pay attention, if you will, to verse 24. I have the first part of that verse underlined, and it says this. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now once you notice, he says to them, he says, Now listen, I know that when I get to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen. But none of that moves me. Because I have determined to finish my course he, he, he could have not went to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, in, in, in chapter, later on in chapter 21, everybody, including the apostle, uh, including Luke, tries to persuade him not to go because of this very, the Holy Ghost is telling everybody the place they come to, this is what's going to happen to you. But notice he has determined he is going to finish his course. Because this is what God's told him to do. And he knows that. It's not easy. It's not going to be something that he would choose if he had a choice. But he has surrendered himself to the will of Almighty God. By the way, when you surrender, when I surrender, when you surrender to the will of God, then nothing can move you from doing what's right. When you surrender to the will of God, none of these things move me. And by the way, you do have peace. And you do have contentment. And, and you do have uh, sometimes a peace that passes all understanding that other folks don't understand. No one understood why Paul was so content. So ever he, he's content. Now why is he content? I think he's content because he spent 31 miles from Troas to Azos and he settled it in his heart, and he comes now and he's able to say to them, I know what's going I don't know everything that's going to happen to me, but I know I'm going to be imprisoned, I know I'm going to have afflictions, but none of these things move me. All right, now then, go back to our text in chapter 26. Therefore, in verse number 2, when he says, I think myself happy. How in the world can he be happy? He's been imprisoned over two years now. Uh, he, he, he's, he's been falsely accused. Uh, there, there's nothing good come out of this from a human standpoint. That's because that a little over two years earlier, he settled in his heart that whatever happened was okay. And by the way, that's where you and I have to be. Sometimes it's easy to do that for, uh, for a day, 
or a week. But I'm telling you, you have to get your heart settled that it's settled. Not just for a little while, but for your life that God is in control and God loves you. And as long as you're not in rebellion and He's not, I'm doing what God wants me to do, then I can handle whatever happens to me. And so can you. The Bible says that. And we're okay. So the Apostle Paul now in verse number 2, whenever he says that and he, he makes that, uh, that, that, that great point, the reason is, is because he's already settled it. Now I jotted one other thing down about that before I move on. I want you to look at this verse. We'll read it. I'm going to give you a little quote. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things wherever I'm accused of the Jews. Now, he's in prison. He's been there two years. He's had some things happen to him. And I jotted this down also. Circumstances should not control my peace and happiness. The circumstances of my life should not control the peace I have in my soul. It shouldn't with any of us. The circumstances of his life was not good, but he had peace. And oftentimes the circumstances in my life is not good. But if I know the Lord Jesus Christ and I am in His will to the best of my knowledge, I ought to have peace no matter come what may. Great truth. Verse 3. Now watch what happens in verse 3. Especially because I know thee to be expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews, whereof I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Now, I'm jotting something else down here. He says, he says now, I, I think myself happy, but he says, now I'm especially happy because I know who you are. You, you, you are an expert. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. But he says, you're an expert in all of the customs and practices and the, the laws of us Jews. You, you, you understand it well. And, and, and so because you understand it, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm especially happy to answer to you. Now, I thought of that, and, and everything we've already said uh, about God being in control and Him yielding Himself to God. And, and I want to get one more verse right quick, and then we'll come back to this. So put something here again. I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, this is a verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that years and years ago that the Lord just sort of helped me at a, at a time in my life that I needed it. And, and, and here is a truth that Paul understands, especially when he says especially am I happy to answer in front of you because God's done something. And here you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it's a great passage of Scripture with a great principle. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape... Uh, uh, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now I want you to notice this great truth that the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth years before what we're reading uh, in Acts chapter 26. He says, you know something? Whatever temptation comes on us, God is faithful. He doesn't say man is faithful. He doesn't even say your family's faithful. He says God is faithful. Now, not only is God faithful, he says God is not willing that any should be tempted above that he is able, but will with the temptation 
make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a great passage. Paul is saying, listen, whatever happens to us, if we're doing what God wants us to do, I guarantee you that whatever happens, God's already made me a way to escape, and, and, and I can bear it. So now he's been in prison two years. Festus has not been uh, too uh, accommodating to him, if you remember what we've seen. Festus actually wanted to do the Jews a favor. Remember last week in chapter 25? And he wanted to send Paul to Jerusalem so those Jews could kill him on their way. He wanted to do them a favor. And so here he is. It looks like this. He's been arrested. He's held for two years. Now the, the main fellow that's over him, Festus, is uh, plotting against him. And here comes King Agrippa. And now Festus has brought him before Agrippa. Agrippa has a little, little more jurisdiction than Festus does. So what has happened? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God's took care of him. There's a great truth in that. You, you and I need to understand that, that, that God is faithful. God is faithful. It doesn't matter what the world does. God is faithful. And whatever God allows to happen to us, God has already made a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. So I, I don't need to get discouraged. I don't need to get down, disheartened and downcast. I need to recognize that God is in control. And here we are. And by the way, He does that and it works good. All right, now, go back to Acts 26. Now we're going to read a little bit. And we'll see a few other things. So now he's about to answer. Verse 4. My manner of life from my youth which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Now then, I want you to notice, Paul says, I, I, I was a Pharisee, and at the straightest sect of our religion. He's talking about Judaism. Uh, he was an Orthodox Jew. He was raised very strict of that. And, and he says, now I was, I was a Pharisee after the strictest sense. So there's a couple of things that we'll, we'll, we'll pick up with that in the strictest sense of it. Now, what did he mean by that? Now, uh, Agrippa understood that. Paul didn't elaborate on it. He didn't have to elaborate on it. Because Agrippa was an expert in the customs of the Jews. Uh, most of us Gentiles are not too accustomed to it, though. So what did he mean by that? All right, here again, Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, he mentions something about that. And then we'll go to uh, one more passage in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll see what Paul says about it. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and, and he's going to tell us what he means by that strictest sense of a Pharisee. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how the beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of our fathers. All right, so whenever he says over there that, that I was a Pharisee of the strictest sense, we, we get a little bit of a little bit of uh, here in Galatians, he says, I tell you what, I was more zealous than most folks of uh, my, my own equals. And, and, and I was ahead of them in my religion, and I was very zealous of that tradition of my fathers. 
All right, and so now Agrippa understood that. Now, I hope you and I have got a little bit of, of understanding. It's in that tradition, not necessarily things that are biblical, but tradition. All right, now, go, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, the, the Apostle Paul is, is going to, he's dealing with the subject of works and how that works cannot save you. And if anybody thinks that they have works enough to save him, his works are greater than theirs. And so we pick up reading in, in verse number 3 of Philippians chapter 3, and it says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, Now I don't trust the flesh at all. I have no confidence in my flesh. Verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in Christ, I more. He says, now hold on, he says, I'm gonna, we're going to compare something here. He says, if you think that you have something in your flesh that would cause you to have confidence to go to heaven, I'll stack my stuff against your stuff, and I think my stuff will win. That's what Paul's saying. So what's he, what does he have? Verse 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrews of Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Well, he said a mouthful there. He said, I tell you what, I was circumcised the eighth day just like it was commanded to. I, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I can trace my genealogy back. I, 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 here I am, I'm a Pharisee. I was blameless in the law. Anything that went against that, that then I was, I was hard on it. That's what he was. Zealous. But now watch the next verse, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless... And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them dung that I may win Christ. And so now he, he says, I had all of this religious accolades and all of this religious hype, and I threw all of that away for faith in Christ. So now I go back to our text in Acts 26. And so he's answered in verse 4 and 5. What did he mean when he answered that? That's what he meant. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had everything that the Jews' religion said was needed to go to heaven. Paul says, I had that. And I was above many of my own equals. Verse 6. And now... I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. He says, now I was a Pharisee of Pharisee, but you know why I'm being judged today? I'm being judged because of the promise that God made to the fathers. Now keep reading, verse 7. Under which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Now almost now it seems like he's speaking in riddles. He hasn't said anything except there's this great hope. And, and all 12 tribes, we're, we're trying to, we, we're latched on to that hope. And that's why I've been accused before you. What is the hope? Keep reading. Verse 8. 
Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Now remember, we spent a couple of weeks here on the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. And that is what this whole thing the Jews are against, uh, against Paul for is because he is claiming that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Remember that? And the virgin birth was... It, 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 there, there is no salvation, there is no Savior without the virgin birth. There is no salvation, there is no Savior outside the vicarious suffering of Christ on Calvary. But none of that counts if there was no victorious resurrection. None of it counts. The resurrection is this thing that proves that He is God and proves the power of God. And, and Paul says, he, he, he's, he's laid the foundation for Agrippa. And he says, I was a... Man, I was a Jew. Uh, the straightest sect of the Pharisees. We understand what he meant by that because we've seen a couple of passages. Uh, we, we understand now. And he says, but you know why I'm on trial here? I am on trial because I believed in the promise or the prophecy of the resurrection. Now he gets specific with it. Look in verse 9. Verily, I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now he gets very specific. He says, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the, the, the reason I'm on trial here is because I believe that the prophets and the power of the resurrection. And he said, there was a time that I thought I must do everything I could against Jesus of Nazareth. Now he's brought it right down. It is the resurrection of Christ. And that's what the Jews don't... Boy, they're upset about that. You see, if Jesus is the Messiah, and He is, and if Jesus resurrected, and He did, they crucified Him, and if He resurrected from the dead, He proved He was God, and they're wrong, and Paul is right, and they're unhappy about that. They're very unhappy about that. Uh, and verse 10, "...which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison." having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He says, now I thought to do a lot against Christ. You remember in Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7 when we had the first deacons and then you had the stoning of Stephen, that they laid their coats at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. He, he's, he's given an, a, a little bit of uh, remembrance of that. And he said, I, I, I was zealous for this and I caught the saints. Boy, that word saints talk about the believers, those that are saved. We're saints. Isn't that a great truth? And uh, he says, and I gave my voice against them and, and I consented to their death. He watched as a lot of Christians were killed. And so he's testifying about that and what it was. Verse number 11, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted even under strange cities. He says, uh, here's what I did. Now, I, he, he, I persecuted him. I, by the way, there's a little phrase there that's, that's sort of interesting to me. I compelled him to blaspheme. He would catch these Christians and he would threaten them with all kinds of wicked things until sometimes they would deny Christ. They would blaspheme. And he says, that's what I did. Verse number 12. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, he said, now I'm, I'm doing what I did best. 
Pharisee of Pharisee, very zealous for the tradition of the fathers. I'm on my way to Damascus to see if I can arrest more of these people that are saying Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Now we're going to see his testimony, verse 12. Or verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now he's going to give a testimony of his conversion to King Agrippa. Now this conversion, this testimony is very, very important to you and I. You see, he knows who Jesus is, he just don't believe he's God. He knew that the Christians had said that Jesus was virgin-born Son of God, had died on the cross and was buried and rose again. But he didn't believe none of that. He persecuted anyone that would say that. He had him put to death and had him put in prison. He knew about Jesus. As a matter of fact, he knew quite a bit about him. And he's searching for any of those that believed about Jesus. And so now at midday, the Lord does something miraculous to Saul of Tarsus. As a matter of fact, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's the last person that saw him with physical eyes according to what the Bible says. He's going down the road, breathing out threatenings and slaughter to the Christians. And at midday, the brightest part of the day, as a light shines around about him and those with him that's brighter than the sun, because Jesus is the light. And they fell down. And Jesus speaks to Saul of Tarsus, and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now instantly, he knew that God was speaking to him. Instantly he knew that. Now I want to show you something with salvation with all of us, and everybody that ever gets saved has this same basic thing happen to us in one way, shape, form, or fashion. Verse 13, or 15, excuse me. And I said, who... Art thou Lord? Now we'll stop this man. Before anyone ever gets saved, they have to believe that Jesus is God. He's Lord. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus is God, then there's no way he could have died for their sins because only God can do that. If they don't believe that He's God, then they don't believe He could resurrect from the dead because only God can do that. There comes a point in time in our lives, and we're on a Wednesday night here, and probably almost everyone here has a testimony of salvation. Every one of us had to come to a point that we recognized that He is God and we are lost. And Paul now recognizes that God is speaking to him. Saul of Tarsus does. And he says, Who art thou, Lord? At some point, you have to answer the question of who Jesus is. Because then Jesus answers him. Back to verse 15. 
And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now here's the truth. There comes a point in time that every one of us recognize who Jesus is and you make a decision about that. You either trust that He is God and you're going to do what He says or you're not going to. He's not going to speak to you and I in an audible voice. That's, this was the last fellow that ever had to happen. But He does speak to us through the Word of God. You're saved tonight. If you're saved, there was a point in time in your life that you heard somebody preach the Word of God, you heard somebody read something, you maybe read it yourself. You picked up a track somewhere in the Word of God and, and God spoke to your heart. Now you have to make a decision about Jesus. You have to make a decision. You have to make the decision, do I believe that He is God or do I not believe that? Who art thou, Lord? Who is God? Who is the Lord? You have to make a decision about that. You have to make that decision. I... I remember my own, my own life, and I wasn't raised in this. My dad and mom were good moral people, but they were not saved, and I wasn't raised in it. And, and when Charlie Shaver nailed me to the floor, literally, spiritually speaking, and he nailed me to the floor, I had to make a decision about who Jesus was. He opened up the Word of God, and he read the Bible to me. And I had to make up my mind, do I believe that or not? By the way, every one of us at that point. If you're saved tonight, somebody showed you you were a sinner and on your way to hell. That's what's happening to him right here. You've been persecuting me. You're a sinner. You're, you've been going against me. You, you have gone against me. And he testified in Galatians and Philippians that he did that. He persecuted the church of God. He was a wicked sinner. All of that was immediately made clear to him when Jesus says... Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He knew in his heart right then, I am a sinner. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He knew right then who Jesus was. But now he has a decision to make. You see, salvation is whenever you come to the point that you, you either trust Him or you don't. You either place your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, or you don't. There's, there's no halfway being saved. There's no getting saved. I deal with people every once in a while, I say, when did you get saved? Well, you know, I just sort of gradually worked into it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You, 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 you might have been struggling with it, and you might have been running from it for a long time, and you might have been under conviction for a while, but there came a point that you made a decision to trust Christ. Or you made a decision not to. I, I deal with people all the time and say, I'm not going to do it. I, I, it's amazing to me. Someone says, no, I don't want to be saved. Or not now. That just always boggles my mind. And so Paul now, is, he's asked, Who art thou, Lord? And he gets the answer, verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a, a minister and a, a witness both of these things which I have seen and the things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness 
to light and from the power of Satan and the God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So instantly Jesus answers him and tells him that it's salvation by grace through faith in him alone. And he trusted that. And you see, the, the truth of the matter is, if we're going to see people saved, you and I have to come to a point that, that we, we tell them who Jesus is. We make it clear to them. And then they got to make it, they, they have to make a decision. You and I can't make it for them. The morning I got saved, Charlie couldn't make me get saved. I, I remember, I, I struggled with it a little. He asked me, Showed me how to be saved. Showed me who Christ was. Showed me I was on my way to hell. Nobody had ever done that. And remember, he got done with the gospel. And he got done with it. And he said, would you like to be saved? And I thought to myself, what kind of idiot wants to go to hell? And I said, sure. Someday. That was my answer. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing this and first time. And I'm rolling over my head. And I'm in a classroom. A bunch of guys I don't know. And, and, and he's got me down here literally and he's got my attention and he said would you and I said well not 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 today someday and by the way Charlie Shaver is a good soul winner he didn't let me go with that he simply looked at me and he said well what's wrong with right now and he didn't say another word he just looked at me and all them other guys in that classroom was looking at me also and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself and by the way, it, it didn't hurt me. It helped me. Every once in a while, people say, well, I'm, I'm afraid to confront somebody. It, it, it might make them mad. It might make them uncomfortable. That's pretty uncomfortable. But I'm having to think about this thing, too. And, and, and he's done showed me that I was going to hell. Nobody had ever done that to me. He's got my attention. See, Paul knows he's going to hell. Jesus has done said, you're, you're, you're against me. Who art thou? I am Jesus. And Paul knows and then he's told him, you're, I, listen, I'm showing myself to you for a purpose. You, you're going to tell people they've got to have forgiveness and by faith come to me. And I was in that condition. I'll never forget. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, well, what is wrong with right now? What is wrong with that? One of my, one of my friends in school in the fifth grade had died. And I thought, well, Coy died. I could die. I thought that. And I thought, what, what, what have I got to gain if I, if I put this off? What do I hope to gain? I thought, I, I'm not, I still thought I was a pretty good kid because my dad would have beat me to death. And I thought, what, why, what can I gain by putting it off? And I've never been a gambler. That never made sense to me. And I thought, I'm gambling with my soul. And I had to make a decision here. Charlie could make it for me. But he sure didn't let me... Get out of there without thinking about it. And finally, I just looked at him and said, well, there's nothing wrong with right now. And by faith, I trusted Christ. Now, it's simple. It wasn't hard. I told somebody the other day, I led somebody to Christ the other day, and, and he said, I want to be saved. And I said, all right. And I said, you should pray and ask him to be saved. And I said, I don't know how to pray. And I said, you know what? The morning I got saved, that's exactly what I said to Charlie. I said, I want to, yes, sir, I want to get saved. And he said, well, you just pray and ask Christ to save you. And I said, I don't know how to pray. I'd never prayed in my life. And Charlie looked at me and he said, well, that's why God's got me here. I know how to pray. 
And he said, I'll just lead you in a prayer. And he did. The truth of the matter is, Christ dealt with Paul, Saul of Tarsus here. His conversion was instantaneous. He trusted Christ. And now he's, got, he's made that decision, changed the direction of his life, changed his whole life. And he's testifying of that to King Agrippa. And he's telling what happened to him and what can happen to King Agrippa. One of the things that I've learned in trying to win people to Christ, family, friends, strangers, you know the best thing you can use to tell somebody how to be saved is what happened to you. You're saved tonight. You know how you got saved. Man, it's unique. It's your testimony. There's nobody in the world got a testimony like yours except you. You, I, I challenge you, take your New Testament and read it. No, two people had the same testimony. It was all different. Christ dealt with every one of them where they were at. That they were sinners, that He was the Savior, and they had to trust Him for salvation. But every one of them is different. Their testimonies are different. One of the best things you can do is tell people, hey, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you how I know I'm going to heaven. They'll listen to that. I guarantee you they'll listen to that. And the truth of the matter is, that's what Paul's doing here. Now watch what happens. We're, we're going to read a couple more verses for our closing night. Now watch this, verse, verse 18, 19. Whereupon, King, o, o King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, man, I trusted that. I wasn't disobedient to that. But showed first to them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. By the way, they're not working their way into heaven. You, you say that they should repent and do works meet for that. You know what that means? That means, by the way, there's repentance is to think differently. That's what the word repent means. And he said they should repent. And they were trusting idols and trusting their own works. And, and, and they had to turn from that to Christ. And by the way, then you ought to have something that says, I'm saved. That's what the book of James is all about when he says faith without works is dead, being alone. Uh, when you get saved, it ought to change what you do. It ought to change how you act because you've had repentance. And he said, I preach that. And he did preach that. Verse 21, For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. And that's why they hate him. Because he's preaching salvation by grace through a resurrected Savior. And they hated that. Verse 22, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both the small and great and saying none other things than those things which the prophets and Moses uh, did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that He should uh, be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and the Gentiles. He says, now all I'm saying is what the Old Testament said. All I'm saying is that the Messiah would die and, and be buried and rise again. That's all I've said. And they're trying to kill me over it. Now one more verse and I'm done now. Watch what happens. Watch what Festus says immediately. Verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Now, once you notice what Festus does, Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. 
You've been studying the Bible too much. By the way, you ever hear anybody say that to you? I remember in high school and I got saved and I started reading my Bible, carrying my Bible to school. That was one of the first things I heard. I'd tell people how I knew I was saved and I, I just, I'm still an old dumb country boy. I'm just reading the Bible and quoting the Bible. And I'd had, I, I can't tell you how many of us say, well, you're just reading that Bible too much. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know nothing about it. How can I be reading it too much? I'm trying to learn. That's what Festus said to Paul. You've been studying that Bible too much, Paul. It's made you crazy. You understand that? That's what he said, essentially. The truth of the matter is, you and I have to know the Word of God, know what happened to us, and lead others. But you're going to find a lot of times people are going to take your testimony and take what we say like Festus did with Paul, and they're going to just throw it aside. And that does not change the message, nor our compassion, nor that we're trying to win people, because there's still only one way to heaven, and that is through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to be telling people how to be saved, trying to win them to Christ. And that's what Paul was doing. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight. I hope that there's been some encouragement from some of this, some challenge from some of it. Father, we come before you here this evening thanking you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you most of all that you died on Calvary and shed your blood that we might be saved. And I thank you, dear Lord, that salvation is by grace, through faith, and it's an easy thing. Now, Father, I pray you'll help each one of us tonight to examine our own hearts and see that we're where you want us to be and how you want us to be, knowing that we're saved. And then, Lord, that we're trying to win others. I pray you'll help us in that. Now, Father, help each one of us to do what you'd have us to in this invitation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Once you stand on your feet and keep your heads bowed, the piano.